intention interior trucking companies if you are relying on facility insurance you could be overpaying reduce your insurance cost by 10000 or more per truck and good news we accept drivers with only 1 years of experience to learn more just send us text by typing insurance to 3653640714 thank you amazingly difficult role now so thank you all for being out there and I applaud your professionalism. You are listening to Mr. Ray Haight, one of our industry's most prolific and admired executives. And on today's show, Ray is discussing driver retention and driver recruiting and how in the world that you can possibly increase your retention to drive up profitability. If that sounds good, stay tuned. Welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. When it comes to trucking safety, the dog is on it. What do we do on this show? I get to talk to some of the most influential trucking executives in our industry so that we can pick up new tips and tricks to use in our everyday businesses. So with that, let's get on with the show. Hey, Ray, welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. How in the heck are you? Yeah, I'm good, Chris. I'm good, thanks. Just like everybody else, hunkered down here and uh, opening up and becoming a little more uh, social, I guess. But uh, yeah, pretty good all in all. Nice to see the sun out and some nice weather uh, for the next few days. So hopefully, um, I'm hopeful like a lot of people, this, this whole thing will start to slow down a little bit more. Yeah, I mean... It's been a struggle, I think, for everybody, uh, truck drivers especially, uh, during this COVID deal. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I've, I've often thought, though, I mean, and I know, uh, you know, I drove a truck for 10 years, and I've never been one to suffer in solitude. I'm, I'm quite okay with solitude. So when I think about the, when I think about the entire population who might be best equipped for that, and I think about truck drivers, and specifically the long-haul guys, of course, yeah, well, they've done an outstanding job, all of them, and all the frontline workers have. Sure, you bet, you bet. You know, you look at them in a different light. I, I, I love the trend and the positive trend that's going on on about our industry and our drivers. Uh, you know, can we sustain it after the fact that, you know, good friends of mine like Kevin Birch, that uh, trucking moves America forward and the OTAs, uh, you got a truck brought it and all their new stuff. I, I mean, all that stuff's great. Um, but it comes from the inside and it goes out. But when it comes from the outside and comes in, I mean, that's the real value, I think. And that's what you can build on. So we've got to, I think, as an industry, really take advantage of this and, and make sure we don't lose this opportunity. Yeah, it, it's it's a huge opportunity. I agree with you. Um, can you tell us or tell our listeners and watchers a little bit about yourself? I know, I mean, gosh, I've known you for 25 or 30 years uh, since mm -hmm. we're both in trucking in southern Ontario. Um, but I also know you are the past chair of TCA. What else is hanging on your uh, your resume? Well, uh, yeah, you and I have known each other for a long time, uh, no doubt about it. And obviously, we got the memos on that on the uh, haircut and the beard deal. Um, <laughs> so yeah, okay, a little bit about myself. Third, uh, I'm uh, second generation. Dad had a few trucks, uh, about three. Uh, passed away very young. Um, I, uh, I took those trucks over and uh, 
drove truck myself for 10 years. Um, had Sorry, a truck. Ray, before you go on, that was the coolest logo, by the way. I think that was, was that your dad's logo or was that yours? Eh? No, I got, you know, there is a quick story on that, but uh, Lance Lowther um, was a gentleman here in London who was a local artist and he had done a lot of paintings, specifically in the railway industry and very detailed, beautiful stuff. But as uh, like a lot of us, that was his passion, his sideline. His sideline and where he put, you know, bread on the table was by doing logos. And he was doing logos on a couple of my dad's trucks and I got to know Lance. Um, very, very nice gentleman, him and his wife, Esther. And uh, I asked them when I started, you know, Southwestern Express, and Southwestern Express was really meant to deceive the U.S. Uh, DOT and the scales by, you know, we live in Southwestern Ontario, but that logo with the cactus on it, the whole bit, was, uh, you know, kind of made to have people think we were from Southwest U.S. And, and the company that we were working with out of London had a facility in, in Waco, Texas. So we put London O.N. dash Waco, Texas with a logo with a cactus on it. <laughs> and we <laughs> went smart. from, honestly, I'm not kidding you here, Chris, we went from being pulled in as a total unknown to most of these weight scales through Texas, you know, not Texas so much, but Arkansas, Tennessee, all those, Ohio, to basically driving by most of them, I mean, certainly not getting pulled in. So anyways, that logo um, was, uh, served a dual purpose, but the talent behind it, um, was certainly Lance, and I remember he came back. I remember the day he brought it in to me and said, "Is something like this what you're looking for?" And I went, "Wow!" And I think he charged me fifty bucks. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, anyways, I drove truck for ten years. Uh, started a small company after. Uh, you know, I'm a culture child for what might be the driver shortage. Uh, my dad was gone all the time. I come from a, you know, a moving family with. Uh, Granddad is a—he was actually a, an engineer on the New York Central, and my uncle was an engineer in CN, and my dad was, uh, you know, a brakeman, and then uh, he got sick of that and started driving trucks. So, um, but he was gone most of the time when I was growing up. So when my kids came along, um, I decided that uh, I didn't—I uh, didn't want to miss them growing up. So my wife and I uh, kind of stuck our necks out. Um, my wife Connie and. Uh, we started a small company called Southwestern Express in London, Ontario, and uh, got that going up uh, to about 50 trucks, and then was approached by McKinnon Transport out of Guelph, Evan and Bill McKinnon, and uh, ended up moving down to their facility uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And in 2005, um, I left there, but in 2000, we amalgamated those two companies, and we were just under 300 trucks with 200 owner-operators, 100 company trucks, um, about quarter million square feet warehousing and about 20% of our revenue came from logistics. So we really uh, busted the thing out. And, uh, you know, at that time, uh, the McKinnon family was very uh, political through OTA and CTA. And uh, they encouraged me to get more involved in the United States in that association. And I had brought with me a membership at TCA. And, and the funny thing with that was uh, Doug Cuddy from Cuddy Foods and Cuddy Transportation was a friend of mine and I was trying to get their work to go to Western Canada but the only way that Doug would give me any of their overflow freight was if I became a member. So that's kind of how I became a member of TC. So, 
Yeah, so you know, I eventually became the chairman. I went to the, the officers' corps. It was a seven-year program, so I became the chairman. And prior to that, I was the chairman of the Professional Truck Drivers Institute, and I was uh, involved with that from 2001 right through to just recently. And uh, also was the chairman of, uh, of NATME, North America Training Management Institute, um, which kind of comes with the role when you're chairman of TCA. So that's a brief oversight. I, uh, I've done and been involved in a, you know, a number of different committees and things of, of that nature and other efforts. And most, most recently, Truckload Carriers Association Profitability Program, the benchmarking program. And from, I, I'm not real fluent on TCA. Uh, mm -hmm. I certainly know uh, PTDI and NATME better than TCA, which are all kind of uh, sons and daughters, I guess, of TCA. But from what I understand, that profitability uh, program is one of the strongest or one of the biggest benefits to being a member of TCA. Can you explain a little bit of what that is and why a trucking company might consider joining TCA to, to get into that? Yeah, sure will. Uh, um, Truckload Carriers Association, in my, I guess, biased opinion, is probably the best value for association dollars that the trucking company can spend because it's very reasonably priced um, and it's predicated on volume of trucks. Um, but it, 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 again, it's not. It's about 10% of the cost of a lot of national associations. Um, and just to put that off the table for people to investigate, um, I mean, back in the day, our 300 truck fleet was paying a couple thousand dollars a year to be a member. Um, and the educational programs that are available and uh, you know, the networking, uh, getting to know your peers, uh, if you're a cross-border carrier, it, it's invaluable. And I've always felt that way and I've been a huge uh, supporter of TCA. And most recently through the whole COVID thing, um, education on uh, and sharing of thoughts with other trucking companies on what to do uh, during this crisis. Uh, they've been at the forefront of it and actually put something out every day. But I mean, if you can think of it, they've addressed it and uh, have left open the opportunity for carriers who might be wondering which way to turn uh, a source of that information. Um, but, you know, back uh, about 15 years ago, Truckle Carriers Association decided that uh, its members decided that a benchmarking program would be a great idea and that other industries have it, why couldn't trucking have it? Um, so what they did is they approached the uh, U.S. Department of Justice because you have to have that type of approval so they can ensure that there isn't collusion of carriers to fix rates and those types of things. So they'll put a, they'll put a limit on what you can do and, in TCA's case, it was uh, you know primarily uh, wrapped around uh, the expense side of things, more so than revenue. And you can't talk about revenue in lanes. And there's a vetting process to make sure that two carriers aren't in the room that might dominate a line or a specific shipper, all those types of things. But uh, ha having said that, that thing got started, and uh, uh, 12 years later, um, it was still kind of I won't say floundering, but it had about. 48 carriers in it, I think. And the reason for that was that they, they never kept up with technology. And uh, certainly in the kind of transport, my, uh, my then CFO, uh, we were involved with it in its infancy. Um, 
Uh, at the time, there was a huge ca uh, chasm between um, Canadian and US dollars, so it was hard to really kind of rationalize this thing. Um, so we didn't uh, hang in there as long as I wish we would have, but um, basically, you know, what you do is you, you know, these carriers got together and they decided on a common balance sheet. I won't go too deep in the weeds on this, but you can't compare one thing to another unless all the elements going into that comparison are coming from the same direction. Right. Uh, else it's just an exercise in futility. So the carriers got together and they made a common uh, chart of accounts um, so that you are measuring things the same way. Um, so when you look at a number, you know exactly what went into that number. Now you can do a comparison with another carrier. So that got going. That was a, uh, certainly an important accolade. Um, what was bogging it down, though, was everything done on these spreadsheets. Excel spreadsheet. So a carrier would go to a meeting and you would get all this data and it would come in the size of about a two inch thick frigging uh, telephone book. And it was very, very granular and uh, it, it just didn't keep pace with technology. So um, I at the time uh, here, uh, I guess back uh, seven, eight years ago, uh, was doing some consulting around here and there. You know, I, I never. Uh, envision myself playing that role after being a trucker and running trucking companies, but uh, um, I ended up there and quite enjoyed it. So I was approached by then a, a friend of mine, I was consulting with NAL and Glenn and uh, Chris Henry and the Lindsay's. Um, and when Chris Henry left NAL a few years back, he came to me and said, Ray, I know you've been trying to do this. Um, I'm prepared to dedicate a, a, a a period of time to develop some software that will streamline this and make it more available to the carriers and the people that work for them. So Chris, who is uh, as sharp as you're going to find, uh, set about building this software and it's called TCA Engage. Now, it's, it's uh, original name was Stack Up and that's the name of the company that he and I own. And we ended up with a licensing agreement with Truckload Carriers Association. So that is the platform now. So what that allows carriers to do, any carrier, there's like 531 data points, which sounds like it's excruciating, but you don't have to do them all at once. You can start fairly simple. So a carrier could go online, for instance, and um, measure their fuel costs compared to uh, a competitor or a group of competitors. Your driving costs as a portion or percentage of gross revenue. You can do all of these things and slowly build up to a certain number. Now you can do that all online, you don't have to, uh, it's really phase one uh, of it. So you can go on, as long as there's five carriers, this is the DOG restriction, uh, DOJ restriction, then you can look at that composite of carriers and see where you are, where you add up, which is invaluable if you're running a trucking company or even if you're an owner operator. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You might think you're very good on your maintenance costs. And then you go and look and you compare yourself to light-sized carrier in your geographic region hauling van or whatever you're doing and find out, you know what, I'm off 10%. Well, being off 10% on fuel costs can be the difference of profit and loss. But you can do that in every piece of your business. And you can do it online. And then after you get acclimated to that and feel good about it, then you can enjoy You can move from there to phase two, which is to become active in a ongoing benchmarking program, which is a group of carriers um, that you compare yourself and you meet uh, typically before all this, you would meet one-on-one -on -one at least twice a year 
and you would talk about these numbers. And how did, Chris, how did you get to that number? How did you, what magic sauce do you have that I don't have because you're much better than I am? So you can have those conversations. Um, and then, you know, they have a, a lot of things that spur off of that. One is called best practices, which I just love, where every carrier brings the best idea that they've bumped into in previous six months. And these are, these are, uh, these companies are the best of the best and they be, continue to improve. Right. And I would assume, and you can talk about this, um, I would imagine one of those best practices is retention and recruiting that you talk about. Because I know you, you've developed a program that's available through TCA that talks uh, or trains how to improve your retention program because you you say that you had a company that had 120% turnover at one point. Uh, yeah, that's true, that's true. So yes, uh, retention is a part of the profitability program. I'm currently uh, a consultant for Truckload Carriers Association and have the title of retention coach. So retention is measured, but it is delineated in a number of different ways. So we know, as all safety people know, that uh, companies with a stable workforce are, safe, are safer companies. Right. So if you, if you take that through to its ultimate end, what you'll find is that low turnover typically uh, is a direct correlation to lower insurance premiums. The lower insurance premiums are a precursor to uh, best-in-class operating ratios. Um, in my class, in my workshop, I talk about the equivalent of low turnover in each department, um, which in maintenance, for me, um, I'll give you a comparison. What do you think the um, value of a rolling asset truck or trailer might be after four or five years in a company that's had one driver in it compared to a company with 100% turnover that's probably had 10 to 15 drivers in a single piece of equipment over four or five years? Obviously, that asset value is much greater uh, and you are much more uh, welcome to the used truck market. People will wait for those assets. You're not going to have to go looking for people to buy them. They're going to knock on your door. Um, then I go from there, just the maintenance costs. You can expand on all these things. Uh, sales to me is uh, an important one because when you have a stable workforce, you can train that workforce. Advanced defensive driving. Um, you know, we used to have standalone computers. The guy could take it. The guys could take, you know, additional training um, and uh, conversational sales and all these types of things. So we've got a better educated workforce in our sector because they're stable. You can't train 120% turnover. You know, that's sales for me also equates to what I call a higher quality of revenue. Since right. you have a stable workforce, you can go looking for things that are more complicated, maybe of higher value, and those shippers will trust you because you have those, those numbers. So again, you can go down, I, I've always had sympathy for that, you know, uh, clerks um, looking after driver's files. With everything that goes into a driver's file, 120% turnover with the 300 truck fleet compared to 20%, are you kidding me? So you can reallocate that asset or that person to be doing other things rather than doing nothing but chase, you know, items for that file. You can go on, you know, from there, operations, dispatcher, training your entire workforce on a weekly basis compared to acclimating, you know, on a 50 truck uh, board, maybe 10 drivers. Um, administration, 
uh, accounts. When we started StackUp, Chris and I, we had our first uh, users call, uh, which is usually um, where people who subscribe to the program will tell you what's wrong with it, what they like about it, what they want to see in the future. Right. Uh, interestingly enough, the first thing was with CFOs, that call. They want to know everybody else's age accounts receivable, which clicked in my head. Because what we're talking about here is training truck drivers on paperwork and systems. So if you have lower turnover, you have a lower, lower age accounts receivable, and that becomes the time cost of money. So that was very interesting to me. So you can equate um, all of these things. Uh, and, and when we went through our uh, morphosis from 120 to 20% turnover, we doubled our operating ratio. We didn't do it because of that, but we doubled our operating ratios. You know, it's because of all those things. So, you know, typically when I talk about retention, one of the questions I get from the recruiters in the room and some of the safety people is, well, how much did you pay to recruit a driver? Yep. And, you know, I know they've been listening, but they just didn't quite get the message, you know? Because um, my response would be, um, we certainly went through the uh, effort to find out where our recruiter do recruiting dollars were spent and how effective they were, but really our effort was to fill a much larger, um, you know, a group to look funnel, a much larger funnel, let's put it that way, but we hired right people for the right fit. So whether my cost of recruiting is twice of yours or not, I kept the guy for five years. Yours might be very efficient and half of mine, but you had to hire 10. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see the effect of it. And the other thing that, I, you know, it bothers the hell out of me, Chris, I gotta tell you, is, uh, you know, people have become disposable in our industry. I mean, prior to this, um, the human tragedy, people going home to tell the families they don't have a job, uh, you know, a, 100 truck fleet sending 120 guys home either quit or fired um, and we do it because we be, become you know just it doesn't bother us anymore and it's just wrong yeah. so that human element of it has uh, been a big part of it for me too haven't been a fast driver uh, and uh, we'll put links in the show notes below about um this program at uh, TCA that pe if people are interested in it but some of the things that I found interesting um, in that program or in the uh, video that you have promoting it you talk about a $6,000 um, cost and that's just a number for recruiting a driver and you talk about a 300 truck fleet that has you know 120 percent turnover compared to a same size fleet that only has a 20 percent turnover what does that do yeah. to the bottom line? Well, that again, that's part of the part of the program, and I, you know, that's I, I put I tell people I put that there because you're going to ask that question, so yeah. I'm going to give you that number. But that is granular, granular really to where the money is. When you when you look at each department and the inefficiency that is there, that number, um, you know, that you just mentioned pales in comparison. It really does. It doesn't add up. It, it far exceeds that number. And I just point something else out just for self-promotion here, but yeah. um, I do uh, consulting on the side on my own too through uh, you know, Ray Hay Consulting. So I, I, I concentrate a lot of effort at TCA and I'm dedicated to the membership there and the carrier membership, but I also uh, will uh, uh, have offerings out to people who are not members. Yeah, and I mean, that's awesome because 
Um, I don't know of many talents here in Southern Ontario with the experience and the wide variety of experience that you have. Um, you know, the exposure to TCA, the exposure to the OTA um, and CTA, running your own company, that's a lot of experience that uh, people would be smart um, to use if they can. So, well, I, you know, Chris, to me, um, driver retention and stability of a workforce is key to profitability. It's all just key to to uh, being a good corporate citizen. I mean, it, uh, prior to my chairmanship, uh, I, I remember Jim O'Neill, who uh, uh, was chairman then, said it's a it's a it's a moral obligation of every trucking company to be safe, and that cars should not be scared pulling up beside a truck. They should feel more secure there than pulling beside a car. We, we you know we have to. That's got to be a cornerstone moving forward. And uh, you know. Funny enough, it, you know, he was spot on in a number of different ways, but certainly spot on in the program that's being uh, offered out uh, because it, it is predicated on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and one of the base, that, not one of, the base uh, of that program is safety. If you want to attract and retain drivers, you must be safe or they won't stay with you and they won't come to you. It's that simple. People have to be comfortable that they have a reasonable, you know, uh, prospect of um, being safe in their day-to-day -day lives or they will leave that situation or their families will make them leave, one or the other. And you can pay all the money in the world. They're not staying there. Yeah. Uh, they need to understand safety and, and I really encourage the uh, listeners and viewers to click on the link below to watch the, the whole uh, video. but. One of the things that you talk about in my experience as a consultant, and we're not competing consultants because you you are at a different uh, aspect. Uh, Safety is one part of it, but sure. running the company. And I'd, love, I'd, I'd love to have been able to, you know, and I have called on you in the past. We've worked together on a yep. few projects because I do not go into a carrier or, or you know, you and I did a private fleet not long ago, a few years back, I guess now, but um, I do not get in the weeds on safety. Yeah. I prioritize safety and I talk to carriers about, you know, how they should view safety and how they should support it unwavering. But as far as getting into, you know, the, the I just do not have the desire or the capability to be able to do what you do, Chris, and your other safety professionals, getting down into those rigs and rules and drilling down on them and really understanding them, trying to debate other people. I start yawning about halfway through that. I know how important it is. Trust me, yeah. it's paramount. But I don't, you know, I don't have to be with people like you out there in the world. I don't have to know that stuff. I just, you know, I just give that over to you folks, and you do you work your wonders with it, and off they go. Well, this is that's kind of where I was um, alluding to is I'm in the safety department, where you're in the company, the corporate structure department. You're at a higher level in the organization. But one of the questions I had about the Maslow hierarchy of needs, um, when we get into the third level, most of my customers, uh, I think, you know, they, they satisfy the physical needs, they satisfy the, the safety needs, but the social needs, the communications in a lot of companies today, I see, uh, to be blunt, suck. Um, you know, with 
the advent of satellite communications and text messaging, there's no personal communication happening anymore. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you disagree? How do you see technology rolling into social needs and specifically communication uh, as it pertains to retaining drivers? Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'll speak to that, but I want to broaden it out a bit, Chris. Um, you know, it, there's been a thought for a long time that turnover in this industry is just systemic. It's just part of it. It just comes with the friggin' program. And nothing could be further from the truth. It's delusional to think that way. High turnover is no more unwinnable than any other business channel challenge that a company's gonna come up with, whether that's putting out bid packet, whether that's organizing your business. It's a business challenge, needs to be addressed, and it needs to be tackled. And people, I mean, it is really amazing to me that companies, uh, some of them choose to just live with it because it's part of the game. I remember being at a TC event once, and actually the fellow beside me ran a 100-truck fleet and they delivered Bibles to churches in the U.S. That was their sole customer. And at the time, the ATA was advertising uh, numbers that were over 100% turnover. This guy leaned into me and said, well, we're at 9%. We're doing pretty good. I go, you know, really? You suck, you know? Um, so, yeah, no, I get it. Communication piece is uh, paramount to this whole thing, no doubt about it, starting with the... Uh, of course, uh, physical needs and then safety needs. But um, before then, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is pretty good. I invite your audience to go and look it up because it's been out since 1947, I believe. Yeah. Abraham Maslow brought that out. And it really kind of nailed uh, the psyche of each and every one of us. And um, he profounded that that we're all driven. Once we achieve a certain level, we look to the next level. And I believe that to be true. Now, on a corporate level, there's uh, a lot of companies have taken uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and they've uh, manipulated it to their own needs. And uh, that's fine. And, and in fact, I did the same thing because I contend when I talk to carriers that have high turnover that the issue that you have to, you, you'll start with is that the majority of drivers don't believe too much of anything you say. So unless you've got a, a firm foundation, uh, then you can communicate all you want, tell them, you know, you can blow smoke up, you know, where all, all day long and tell them how great they are, but if they don't believe what you're saying, it doesn't mean nothing. Yeah. So I started with something called the foundation, which is really getting into things like uh, commitment to change and commitment to a value statement, commitment to a standard uh, of behavior within your company that you don't break off of. Um, I believe truck drivers are from Missouri. Don't tell them what you're going to do. Shh, just do it and they'll see it. You know, I love uh, the London, Ontario Police Department have this, and I've used it a number of times, so I always give them credit, but on the side of the cards, of cars, it says deeds, not words. And to me, you start there and then you go up there. But the communication thing, and you're absolutely right. I mean, these things, uh, there's been a push on my program re recently with carrier members at TCA. And a number of the questions that I come in is, how long will this take? You know, how much does this cost? All these, like the, the, if you're high turnover, low turnover is a journey. 
And it's a journey that you're going to be on for years and years, but you won't even know you're on that journey once you get it down to where you want it, because it's now all of a sudden going to work is fun. The relationships you have with people are real relationships because they endure the type, you know, the, a period of time. Those folks still work for you. Um, so communication is uh, a paramount to this whole thing. People want to be recognized. They want to know what's going on. I could give you all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, situations where that have proven that uh, uh, to me and, and to our company. Um, but yeah, um, I, you know, during my workshop, I typically say, you know, I give you information because I trust you. Right. I have conversations with people because you trust them. You live in the communities you live in because you are comfortable there. You have friends that you're comfortable with and you communicate with them. If I don't communicate with you, it's because I really don't care about you. And I don't value your opinion. And I would prefer if you just went and did your job. That's what I hired you for. Go do it. No, that's not sustainable. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and I think there's the disposability of truck drivers, as you said, is a disgrace in our industry. And I know for one, I hated firing truck drivers. Um, because I recognize that I'm not firing one person. I'm firing uh, the driver, the spouse, the kids, uh, the impact on the community possibly. Um, yeah. The know. other thing that goes with that though, Chris, that, and this is the mindset I had with our people, is we had to let somebody go. We failed them. Yeah. How did we fail this person? We failed them because we, we shouldn't have hired them to begin with. They weren't a good fit. We hired a clean driver's file, which is the last thing you want to do. We didn't find out from them what their expectations of us were. We didn't find out what their vision of success was, because we want them to be successful. You don't have half your employees. Find out what is it they want to achieve, and then help them achieve that. You own them. They're not going anywhere. Um, so I looked at those things as we fail this person, how do we do it? Yeah, absolutely. So, Ray, I, to be respectful of your time, I'd like to uh, just start closing this down. So, a couple of things that uh, we talked about. Engage uh, through TCA, the measuring um, fleet program. How do you say it correctly? Well, it's it's kind of long. It's uh, TCA, TPP, Engage, but it's Truckload Carriers Association, Truckload Profitability Program, Engage, okay. which is primarily there to engage your staff. So, I mean, that's a huge benefit to being a member. Um, the other thing that uh, I would encourage listeners and watchers to explore is the TCA's retention program. And on the show today is the TCA retention coach. Um, so, anything, do you want to speak just before we wrap up uh, either or and about NATME and PTDI? Okay, uh, yeah, I, I've been fortunate to be involved in both of those organizations and uh, was the chairman of both of them at one time. Um, certainly, Professional Truck Drivers Institute has come a long way and it, it, uh, it has uh, been mentioned many times in FMCSA's rulemaking and it's been the platform for um, actually uh, myself and Kim Richardson and uh, another gentleman through the apprenticeship program in Ontario is predicated on T uh, TTDI. So, you know, it's a great platform. It, it should be the minimum standard and proud to see Mountain Ontario and it is predicated 
to a large degree on PTDI. Um, and uh, you know, the entry-level driver training role in the United States has been paused and manipulated and screwed over and lobbied to the point where totally competency-based, if it should come out in the next two years. Um, this is one of those, this is like waiting for the Leafs to win the friggin' cup for that thing to happen. This is going on for decades, this thing. Um, but, you know, it's a great program. It's currently, uh, I'm not sure the number is great today, but I believe somewhere between 10 and 12,000 truck drivers that annually are graduated through that. We've got a number of those courses in Ontario. And I urge anybody that might be watching this and might be interested in becoming a truck driver to look for those schools that have that accreditation. Then you will be insured with a minimum standard of training that will touch on everything you will need to get you started on a successful career. Compared, the worst thing that you want to do, uh, anybody watching this who's thinking of getting into this career, is to price shop training. Yeah. You've got a quality shop. And then when you find comparable qualities, then you might look at price. But do not, do not go out there saying, you know, a, a, a PTDI course is eight, 10, 12 grand, and I can get it over here, uh, you know, for 3,000 bucks. I mean, just don't do that. You're, you put yourself in jeopardy, it makes no sense. Um, so uh, that, Matt me, uh, I just think the world of Matt me and was the chairman of that, uh, 2008, 2009, um, and been involved with it prior to that. But the accreditations um, that they offer for those trucking companies that are listening um, include, you know, certified director of safety and safety assistance, certified uh, director of maintenance, and, these creditations are amazing to me because they really, they equate to some uptime, uh, upfront cost and time of your people. Um, at the back end, you will be much more profitable, much more profitable. Um, the maintenance side will, you know, have that individual draft and maintenance program that they'll have to adhere, adhere to. It'll make them trend the common breakdown elements and submit to not me what they're going to do to correct those things just so that individual can keep their accreditation. And Chris, you're an instructor at NAPME on the safety side of things. You know uh, the value of this and the experience. And, and I, to me, the other part of this, because you know, this is just the way I am as a human being, but the sharing of knowledge and, and the, the issues that you can share with your peers yeah. that you have maybe been frustrated with that they may have experienced. Uh, safety in the round to me. I mean, I love being with the folks that are involved in all these things because there's passion there. I and mean, if you ever get sick of this industry and say, I've had enough of this crap, get around that group for any limited amount of time and you will be uh, reinvigorated about you know the quality of the people and the people's intent that are involved in those things. Well, I, I think that goes to almost any association within our industry. If you're getting a little bit down, well, hang around with some of the key people at OTA because those are the passionate people at CTA, at Truckload Carriers, at NatMe. I mean, we all have, you are who you associate with. And if you decide to associate with people that have negative attitudes, then that's how my attitude's going to be. But I choose to associate with people like you, Ray. Well, I appreciate that, Chris. And, and I, I do so too. I, I just point out to you that, you know, uh, ATA, OTA, CTA, all these associations, um, they 
don't do a very good job of telling people the things that they fend off. And they're expensive to join. It costs a lot of money, but there's, it's very expensive to live in Ottawa, to live in DC, and to lobby against people who don't understand our industry, but have been given some power and some authority. The next thing you know, we get some ridiculous legislations coming down the pipe, and somebody's gotta be uh, you know, at the forefront of that and uh, be trying to fend those things off. So, you know, a lot of those associations, they have that as their priority, and, and thank goodness they do. Yep. Um, now TCA, uh, Truckle Cares Association, has recently gotten the advocacy ring too, uh, wing too, because they didn't see really uh, a, a national association in the U.S. that was specific to a truckload carrier. So they've got into that and they've been very successful at it. But still, their strength is education, it's profitability of their carriers, it's bringing them up to speed, it's being a conduit from carrier to carrier. I, I've been involved with TCA since mid-80s. The value amongst all those things it has been the, the, the lifelong friendships, the, the, when I was running a carrier to pick a phone up and say, hey, I'm stuck at a scale somewhere, or hey, you know, I need uh, somebody to get under load for me to see has got to, you know, it, and just the learning piece. You know, I do a big piece in the program called Mentoring. Well, I got that from Kevin Birch. He's a lifelong friend of mine who passed ATA chairman, NTCA chairman, and he showed me the whole program out of Dayton, Ohio, what he was using for his drivers. It had a huge impact on our business. So, you know, I'm a big association guy and I can ramble a bit on that, but, uh, you know, I also feel very strong that, you know, if you're going to be in this industry, you need to be a contributor to its overall success, not just your own, but you will be successful on your own by doing that. Yeah, and I think that's a, a great ending point. Any, Ray, your contact information will be down below and I encourage our listeners and watchers to, to reach out to you if they've got questions. Any last words, Ray, that you want to uh, leave with? I, you know, very, very strenuous times in an industry that is reliant on uh, margins that are not typically those of other industries. Uh, you know, when we talk about 97, 97.5% operating ratios, it doesn't take much in the disruption of the flow of those volumes to turn a positive into a negative. So. You know, I wish everybody the best. It's it's time to get together. It's time to learn from your peers. People are being successful in this for they are at least treading water. How are they doing it? Do you need to find out how? Then, then you know, it, it, there's access for that information. Even TCA, they're, they're putting stuff out daily. It's to all, everybody. They're, they're not restricting it to non-members. So access to information is out there. And the other thing, Chris, I gotta tell you, and I know this firsthand, misery loves company. And, and you know what? We're suffering. We've got red ink. Things are tough right now. How are you coping? How are you doing? So it's not just me. There is shared pain here. So I, I, I suggest that to people. And of course, on a final note, the drivers. I mean, um, difficult role at the best of times. <laughs> Amazingly difficult role now. So thank you all for being out there. And I applaud your professionalism. Just thank you so much for being there. Perfect. Thanks, Ray, for appearing on the show. I appreciate you very much. No, thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
Hope you loved the show as much as I did. Please leave us a like, a thumbs up, a review, a comment, a rating if it is in your heart. Thank you so much. And I do really appreciate your time. And join us again next week for another exciting interview.